0: Welcome to the Oh My God podcast, Season 2, with your co-hosts, Zelda Lebowitz and Hannah Rachel Cohen-Portnoy. In Season 1, the podcast aimed to talk about success in the face of failure, modern Judaism, and real life. Season 2 will deliver the same message, but even more potently. Zelda and Hannah Rachel have individually and collectively been challenged by the Jewish system they grew up in. Through their evolution, through their questions, failures, mistakes, and heartbreaks, they've begun to untangle much of what was keeping them in survival mode so they could truly be set free to thrive. This is what they'll dissect each week with you. The Jewish journey. Real, raw, and vulnerable. Because that is the only thing that can truly change lives, and maybe even save them. You're only one episode away from being more honest with yourself.
1: Thank you for being here. Thank you for thank you for having me. The, oh my God, podcast! It's a, it's an
2: honor and a privilege. Yes, definitely. I'm really excited to talk to you and to have you on our show. Sure all the listeners will learn so much from you. Yeah. Um, sure. uh, this is Ani Lipitz, and you are the author of the Tonic Companion. Yep. And we learn a lot from you. Yes. <laughs> so we both. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you can share with us a little bit about um, who you are and what you do and how you got into it, that would be amazing.
3: Sure. So, wow, who I am and what I do, that's evolving every second of every day. <laughs> what mm-hmm. am I doing right this moment? Well, I guess the overall theme of who I am and what I've been doing is um, a, I am a teacher of Hasidus of Jewish mysticism, and not just of the ideas, but ultimately of the integration of it into every moment of our lives. Because that's that's the point of the Hasidus. That's the point of the Jewish mysticism, is not that it should remain ideas, God forbid, but but that it should become our essence, our default programming, that we just live in alignment. So who I am, what I do. So I teach Hasidus to women and to girls, and most recently, thank God, opened um, a small high school. And we are, we are doing the, we are doing the geula, the redemptive, the upgraded form of Chanukah of education, where we understand that it's not about sitting people in a classroom and feeding them full of information, but teaching them mostly through example, how to live life. So, um. That's what that's what I'm doing currently. Um, I also do some coaching and healing work, little, little bit. I took a break from that for a while because I was getting the school going, slowly getting back into that a little bit. But I have to see um, as we, you know, as the school continues and how I'm able to continue to fit that in. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Ali, mean, would you be able to take us through the journey of how you got here
3: and, and yeah, a little background? Sure. Well, how in-depth should I go? Because I can go in my whole spiel of yeah. <laughs> everything from... We're all thirsty, again. yeah. Okay, good. So um, so I am a giurist, meaning that my soul had to come into the world deep undercover through a non-Jewish body and psyche. And as the Rebbe teaches us, retroactively, what a conversion shows is just that the the person was always a Jew. And they, for whatever reasons, you know, according to Kabbalah and Chassidus, it's generally to make tikkunim or repairs. Um But we know that the essence of a tikkun, of a repair that we have to make is actually a shlichus, it's a mission. So um, I had to come into the world deep undercover on a mission um, through a non-Jewish body and psyche. And I was always um, a spiritual seeker from like the youngest age. I was asking my parents from like age three, I was asking my parents like existential questions like, why are we? And they were like, I don't know. They didn't cover that in parenting classes. I can't answer that question. So, um, and my parents, but my parents are both like spiritual people, but it's it's like a like they're naturally more spiritual people, but not people who like really delved into it, like really looking for answers. Um, but so you know, I grew up. Um, I say vaguely Catholic. Um, because we didn't even, you know, we didn't even go to church, you know, that time of year, like we put up a tree cause it was like fun and, you know, something just fun to do, but there was really, there's no real religion outside of that permeating sense of Christianity that just kind of permeates culture, which I think has actually now shifted more toward like a new age or even secular spirituality is kind of more the permeating, um, sense of God in culture, which, um, yeah, it's incredible to see the evolution of the collective consciousness. Um, so my, my sense of God though, was, um, I had the intuitive sense of God that we all have, which is something that I want to be connected with and something that I'm wondering about and wanting deeply to have a relationship with. And then there's the externally imposed sense of God, which is fear, judgment, punishment, Everything you do is wrong, which is so interesting that I absorbed that again because I wasn't actively involved in any religion that was teaching that to me. But those, that was just kind of the makif, as we say. That was kind of like the 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 broader field, the broader psychic playing field that we were all living in, essentially. Mm-hmm. So um my so I was always, you know, kind of a seeker. I love listening to New Age music, like through elementary school and middle school and like trying to meditate and things like that. Um, and then um, experienced a, a tremendous amount of um, trauma with a really, really um, chaotic, disruptive, dragged out divorce between my parents. Um, and and the and the issue there was um just that we were put in the middle of everything and and it was dragged out for like ten years. So it was like a truly, it was like a really unusual situation. And we know that everything is by divine providence. Everything is by Hashgacha Pratis. And and I think part of what Hashem has kind of revealed to me through my own soul and own intuition and own understanding is that really that process of, that process actually allowed me, I think, to settle more into my true identity as a Jewish woman, because I wasn't coming from a place where there was an intense family identity that I was going to have to then go deep and really psychically undo as I transitioned out of identifying, you know, that way, tribally, and, you know, into my actual souls tribe. Um, it made it a lot, it actually made it a lot easier and, um, it made it a lot easier to have like individual relationships with my family members as, as individual souls on their own journeys. And in the end, it I think facilitated a lot more deeper and meaningful relationship with my parents and eventually my amazing step parents and my sisters and stuff. So for that I was so grateful. Um, and then it was around um, it was when I was just about to turn 19 that I really found God, like really really found God. And um, I was I was real I was like having a real existential crisis. I had had my first little boyfriend and that whole thing collapsed. And or pseudo boyfriend, it wasn't even a boyfriend, but that whole thing, it, it just it totally fell through, and it really did spin me into a true existential crisis. And and at that point, you know, I'm I'm about to turn 36, so this was you know close to close to 20 years ago, or more more like 15, 16 years ago, like. The, the idea of trauma wasn't really in my lexicon or even anybody's lexicon, really. Like now it's something that thank God everybody is addressing and healing and working together with. But at that point, I had no concept of like what trauma is. I'm like, I'm functional. I'm fine. You know, I got, I got over everything. Like meanwhile, like my entire self is just like bloated with this darkness and baggage. I was totally dissociated. <laughs> um, and And so all of that darkness and baggage kind of finally started catching up with me. And, um, and I was in a true place of like real existential darkness and, um, and it was around this time that right around in the mornings, um, right before, like in that pre-conscious moment, which is actually the moment that we're supposed to say my da'ani in the morning, it's it's in that pre-conscious moment. And when we have kids, it's pretty hard to catch that moment to actually like. Say Modani, because it's like I'm awakened by somebody like screaming, Mom, I need milk or something. So I'm like, oh, okay. But in that pre-conscious moment, when we're really supposed to actually say Modani, is actually when the essence is revealed in our consciousness for a moment. And I started having an experience in that pre-conscious moment where I would feel total and complete like bliss and calm. And then as my soul, I know now I have the, the language from Hasidus to actually understand my experience in the context of true reality because that's what Hasidus is, it, it's a map, it, it, it orients us to true expansive reality, the fact that we are multidimensional souls in bodies, having multidimensional experiences, but trying to collapse it down to a linear narrative. So we're all learning how to get out of that. But as soon as my soul would come like more into my body, it would be like enclosed back into that psyche that was objectively racked with this horrible anxiety. And, you know, after, after a while living like that, there was one day that I was just like, I just, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just, I was like, I just have to know, like, how can I know? But I have to know, but how can I know? Like, does any of this have a purpose? Does any of this have a reason? Is there a point to any of the suffering that I've been through to this heaviness to any of it? And I lay down on the floor of my bedroom and I looked up at the ceiling and these words just flowed out of me. And I just said, I don't know who you are. I don't even know if you exist, but I can't live without you anymore. And I was talking to God. That was my neshama. Finally, wow. you know, the time had come where certain phases of that tigun was complete and she could finally breathe again. And in that moment of calling out to Hashem in truth, we know he responds. And And I had just an opening where I knew everything is God. Everything I've been through is for some divine purpose. It's this knowing that we all carry within us just finally like, that file opened and it was just like, oh, this is how things exist. And it was purely intuitive. I had never learned these things before. The only concepts that I was vaguely familiar with was the concepts of reincarnation, essentially, um, because I'd been really into Dr. Brian Weiss's Many Lives, Many Masters. Okay. Um, but it's so good. And it's it's really incredible. But he doesn't even really talk about God much in the book. It's talking. They fo- He focuses really on just like the spiritual masters but, um, you know, whatever those, those souls are, but it was all the, this, this intuitive knowing was just flowing out of me. And it was, and it wasn't like poof moment of white light, everything is healed, but it gave me a context and the, and the inner fortitude to begin my healing journey. And, um, and I, I, I went through a lot of transformations, um, it was that was the beginning of the summer after my freshman year of college. You know, moving over the next couple of years, having insane spiritual experiences. Like I would describe some of the things I experienced as actually having had kalos anefesh, where the soul is like running, and you feel like you're just you're going to be absorbed in God, and there's nothing else, and you're never coming back again. Were you conscious that those were like uh, some like awakening moments at the time? I knew I knew that it was like a spiritual awakening. That's that's the language that I had to to describe it. And I got really into the new age movement because I was trying to understand and see reflected in my world, you know, all, like all of, you know, what is this? And, and Hashem did me just this amazing kindness where my best friend at the time, she, um she had like called me after we've been home from, we were at at different colleges and she was like, so girl, how's your summer going? And I was like, I was like, girl, I think I found God. And she was like, me too. So uh-huh. Hashem gave her this awakening. And we had not, you know, we had had philosophical discussions through high school, but it never been about God in any way. And so she had this awakening at the same time. And so we were these two, you know, ostensibly non Jewish girls. We would, we would do like a seven mile walk every night, just like for like figuring uh-huh. out like the nature of reality and, We called the, the road that we would walk, we called it the path to enlightenment. Um, but it was incredible. And I was, I was so grateful because there was, it would have been, it could have been so easy for me to have just gaslighted myself and been like, you're crazy. Like, that's nice. You're having all these thoughts and feelings like, Hey, coping mechanisms, what's up? Like, not real but because God gave me Gina in my external environment to help me anchor there, she was experiencing the same thing. And we were bringing through this consciousness together. It was like such a gift. It was such a gift. Wow. So over, so, you know, over the next couple of years, after that initial awakening, I continued evolving and having these crazy spiritual experiences, but I had the sense that I was like, I was way too ungrounded. And I was like, I didn't, go through the trouble of coming down here and getting dressed up in this body to just then go fly around on the clouds all the time. Like there's like a real talkless, like, I obviously didn't know that word at the time, but like a real bottom line, like purpose, like I got to figure out how to get the boots on the ground essentially. So I started at, like, I was talking to God all day, every day. And so I started adding, as I was, you know, talking to him, like, I, could you show me what path I should walk in this world? Like, I need to know, like, how, how can I be firmly on the ground in this world to do what I came in here to do? And um, so it was maybe just like a, a couple weeks, a couple months of really asking for that. And I ended up get, uh, meeting a new friend and getting invited by them to um, a class at a Chabad house. And what the rabbi was teaching was um, one of the Lubavitcher rabbis, um, the teachings on the statement of the sages that one hour of of chuva and good deeds in this world, essentially of, of growth and, and goodness, good deeds, good action in this world is worth all the bliss of the world to come, meaning this world and how we're functioning here on, in our day to day human life. And making that godly is worth more than all the spiritual revelation of the world's to come. And I was like, hey, you got my attention, because that's literally what I've been asking you for. Oh. So we kept so, you know, I kept learning, I started going to Shabbos dinner and just absolutely fell in love with the Friday night, the Shabbos, the Shabbos table. And truly, like, for for my entire life, I had always felt something on transcendent on Friday evenings, I never understood it. But Friday evenings always felt like I could, and I could feel a shift happening in the universe. And, you know, for some people it could be like, okay, the weekend's starting, whatever, but I had always felt something around Friday nights. And to this day, the Friday night Shabbos table is still my favorite place in the universe, aside from riding my horse, La but, <laughs> um, but um So, yeah, so I, you know, I started, I started learning and, um, and started keeping more and more things. And I finally mitzvahs and, um, then I, um, and after about two years of another, yeah, two years of like learning and, you know, becoming super stark Lubavitcher, um, I finally got to go to mikvah and that was just the end of one phase and the beginning of a whole other phase. Wow. Yeah. Was there
1: a, a resistance, um, you know, like, were you, like, you know how they say, like, when, when someone wants to convert, you usually like this, or the is, this is what I've heard you tell mm-hmm. them, no, it's not a good idea.
3: Did, is that something you faced and how did you face that? Um, no, so nobody, nobody actively pushed me away, but the way my rev, the way my rev did it was um, he, I had to drive the whole process. So I had, he would tell me what I needed to learn. I would have to go learn it and then schedule a meeting with him to come down. I was in Binghamton at the time and I'd come down to Muncie to meet with him and um, get tested. And then he would be in touch with the people who knew me in Binghamton to make sure that I was, you know, the real deal, walking the walk. Um, um, But I didn't like, thank God, because I know other people have faced, you know, like emotionally, psychologically, spiritually abusive situations. Um, But I, I didn't, it was just that I had to really drive the process.
2: Wow. That shows that, you know, your intention behind it all. If like you're the one, you know, continually making the meetings and setting it all up. That
3: yeah. You, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow. it has to be intrinsically motivated. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. What
1: would you say is your, you know, biggest or was or continues to be, you know, your challenge in general in life throughout the process, throughout your journey, um, you know, that? that you maybe still struggle with or you overcame or you know
3: mm-hmm. that we could learn from? I think the Avoda that we're all in now, and you know, I talk about this all the time, our biggest struggle collectively is overcoming the gullus mentality, getting out of this exile mentality. And, and that, because that requires a real existential shift on every level of the Nepesha Bahamas, which is just the human psyche, it's our human psyche. it's I always say it's not me when I'm an out of control, lustful cookie monster. It's literally my human psyche. It is complex, it is elegant. All of human psychology is about the Nefesh Bahamas. It is a beautiful, complex, holy creation. And so what we I think I think in our generation in particular, we're we're struggling to overcome a very cartoonish education around, our soul, our self, in general, like a very oversimplified, cartoonish um, education, and also because um, we feel so deeply, because we're the ghoul, we're the souls of Gula, who are like, we're here, guys, we're here to do this. So our souls were telling us one thing, which is we're here to do Gula, which means expanding into my mm-hmm. infinite self, and. Then the way that our chinuch, which is the way our human psyche is being oriented, because again, it's not feeding information, it's building up the subconscious structures of the psyche. They're telling us we're still in Gaulis, one more mitzvah to bring Mashiach, you have you have to be allergic to the Gashmias. Where and and where the maybe harder piece of that comes in for people is that as adults, when we're re educating ourselves, we have to, we have to come to say, like, the people who educated me got it wrong, which it can be really hard and scary. They didn't do it on purpose, but they did because I'm looking here in, I'm, I'm learning this Hasidus for myself and seeing that the Lubavitcher Rebbe tells me that Geul is here and I'm not elevating sparks anymore. So the Rebbe, but then the people who were supposed to be teaching me all this stuff are telling me the opposite. So it creates... It, it creates a massive cognitive dissonance that ultimately we have to work through. But again, in, in our generation, I think so many of us are doing so much reparenting anyways, that we're all just, we could all just be like, all right, Google is here. That's fine. Let's figure that out too. <laughs> Rebbe said that we don't need to elevate any more sparks. What could you- the Rebbe said that we, the Rebbe said in black and white that we're done elevating sparks and our avoda now is to manifest the Google, the Google reality. Wow. So yeah. what does that mean in terms, like, could you give an example of how, what, what would elevated sparks mean? Right. What's, what's sure. Different? So like, right. So what's different because everybody, you know, my husband always says like, who knows, who knows what a spark is anyways? Like, have you ever seen a spark that you've elevated? No. But so basically, so the, the, the big difference practically is that the, what it means that we finished elevating the sparks is that we actually, we finished purifying the physical world. So what does this mean? Why did we have to be so weary and allergic to physicality or goshmias throughout history, because in the beginning of time at, you know, with, with when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, essentially Klippa or dark forces or the forces that are responsible for creating the illusory sense of reality, that there is no God that makes a person completely self-centered and all that exists is my sensual experience. That's all there is. They fuse together with physical reality and with the Nefesh HaBahamas or the human psyche. So the process of history, we were doing something called the bearer, which was separating out that those illusory forces, the klipa or the ra from the from the good. Essentially, we were like loosening its grip on the physical world which is meant to be the ultimate vehicle for intimate relationship, experiential relationship with God and on the Bahamas in the body, the human psyche. So we did have to be extremely careful and sparing in how we engaged with the physical world throughout history, how we related to concepts like money and, and, you know, other, other things, even like our human emotions, we had to be careful because they were so fused together with these dark, illusory forces that produce that that produced this experience that I exist in an existential vacuum and like what God, what higher purpose, there's only my immediate needs and wants. And so the fact that the be'er is done, that the Rebbe said, we finished separating that out. There is obviously still evil and darkness in the world. And we're in the process of those remnants being cleansed out, but it's no longer intrinsically fused with the material world. So one of the biggest practical implications of this is now When I know myself and I'm tuning into my essence and my true desires, I don't have to have this sense of guilt or I shouldn't, or I'm being spiritually unproductive by being fully here in my gosh me is life. I don't have to feel like I'm somehow doing something wrong or betraying my soul or betraying a purpose. Our purpose now, especially as Gaula souls, is to fully inhabit our bodies, our lives, the physical world. That's why, that's why, that's why God created created the universe created all of the spiritual worlds culminating in this physical world is so that we would be here in our bodies evolving forever and ever right. and that time has come essentially where we know it, it's the exile experience of having to be exiled from reality of having to exist outside of it not being able to fully be in ourselves you know having to be like i mentioned really dissociated having to kind of be dissociated but the ga'ula reality is now the physical world, our bodies, our human experience is saying, please inhabit me, bring your God conscious all the way down into me. Like you, we need abundance, we need wealth. The Rebbe told everybody we should we should be extremely abundantly wealthy. That it's now time to settle into this world because we're here forever. The Rebbe even said nobody has to pass away anymore. If we go deep enough in our Avoda and our consciousness, we can activate Haimnitz have hasak, meaning eternal life with no without interruption. So everything is on the table for us. And the Rebbe told us this in black and white. And as we can imagine, that was mind blowing and terrifying for the people hearing it, who had been on a certain track up until then. And then all of a sudden it's like, everything's turned inside out and it's like time to be in the world, the complete opposite way. Now, to be fair, like the Rebbe and even the Friedecker Rebbe, his predecessor had been preparing us for this for a long time. And we just, you know, weren't getting the message, but, um, but we are the generation, and there is so much dissonance and pain in our generation because we're are the people, those who register as authority figures to our human psyche, are telling us one thing and our soul's telling us another thing. And it's dissonant and it's causing, as we all know all, all too well, like horrific pain and damage. So it's really by embracing this Keula reality. And that we can reorient ourselves and say, oh my God, this is why I feel this way. Because too many of us are, labral, are labeling the voice of our Neshama, our yitzhara. And then we just wow.
2: die. Wow. So wow. what would be something practical that our listeners could take upon themselves to be able to live in that mindset or in that consciousness?
3: So one thing, that I think a lot of people are already engaged in this, is... Is how how do we engage our human emotions? You know, how do I engage anger, sadness, these things that maybe people told me, like it's not spiritual to feel that way, like you shouldn't feel that way, it's not aligned, whatever. On a, pract- on a practical level, we no longer have to push away negative emotions. So just we never we no longer have to push away. We can now listen into them and say, what's the message that you have for me? Obviously, we have to maybe push away certain impulses to express those emotions in a certain way. Like if I have an impulse to scream at my kid because I'm exhausted and she just triggered me, I'm going to do what we call escafia on that desire to scream at her. But I'm not, I don't have to suppress the anger. I may have to momentarily because I have to actually help her in that moment. But I can later go back or I could even pause in that moment if I have to, if there's no emergent situation and say, what is this anger coming to tell me? And when I can listen to the inner message that it has, that is actually ishapcha. That's the transformation of what could be dark into light. When I listen to what's the actual message you have for me. And it may be something as simple as you need to go take a break. Mm -hmm. Because again, tuning in our voice, the voice of Hashem, of our neshama is directing us in the day to day of our human life. It's not like you need to go light Shaba's candles. It's like Hashem is saying, you need to go take a break. Right.
2: So it's honoring the emotions. Negative yeah. emotions, our human emotions. Our human emotions. Our human emotions. Yeah. And then doing this is which is it's holding back. So like not acting on impulse, but holding back. Yeah. Just a little bit of space or time or time to process. Yeah. And then transforming it by understanding
3: that. That's that emot- the positive message in it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Wow.
3: Powerful stuff. I feel huh? like
1: it's also like easier, obviously, said than done. Um, I know yeah. for myself. Like I'm an active um, work in progress. Like I feel like I definitely um, engage in you know working on myself, on my instinctual reactions that you know used to come like super habitually and like mm-hmm. definitely. I definitely feel like I am making progress in terms of like my reactions, my negative reactions. But, you know, I just feel like it's still so discouraging when I do, um, you know, even this morning, I, I, Monday mornings are really tough in my house because I have to like drive my kids from Muncie to Lower East Side and, just, wow. and I have to go to work and it's just like, I wake my girls up, you know, an hour before, but it's still, you know, three girls trying to get ready and they want to stay in bed. And it's like, I wish I had that reserve. I wish I had that warm, that patience. Um, right. What what are some, do you have some tips, tricks?
3: Yeah, so another thing is understanding that the Gaula reality means that we live beyond nature within nature. And so what that means is that anything in my life that isn't working, I can look at it and say, it doesn't have to be this way. I can start to think creatively, maybe in ways I never have before. So, you know, with the example that you are giving, like you can ask yourself, what could I change up here? What's a wild card I could add in or take out you know, in order to change the infrastructure of how these mornings go, is there something I could delegate? You know, is there, I'll tell you, like I I had, I've been having a really hard time since the clock's changed, getting my sons up in the morning. And so I was like asking Hashem, I'm like, this is not a situation in the mornings when like our whole day is getting off to such a negative start. So I was like, what could I do? And the answer I received intuitively was like, find a cool alarm clock. So I got them a cool alarm clock with all these really cool sounds and like the sun rises on the alarm clock it was night and day, no pun intended. So Just something like now they're like, they have the alarm comes on, they're getting, they're up earlier. It's like beautiful, soothing sounds and they really like it. And we're not having these problems anymore. So, so you can literally, you can literally say like, you know what? I don't have to I don't necessarily have to resolve myself to being like, I just need more inner strength to keep it together. You may, Practically, you may find that it's manifesting this way because it's giving you an opportunity to draw on more reserves. You may be able to change your morning routine. Maybe if you got up a little earlier and worked out first, you would find you had more, you know, energy. But, you know, I'm just I'm just throwing ideas out there, but to be able to, in the gu'ula reality, we don't have to, we don't take anything for granted. You know, when we were objectively in an exile reality, there were real limitations for most of us normal people. And only the tzaddikim, the enlightened masters could play be above the rules. But now that the gu'ula is objectively here for all of us, we can all play above the rules at of nature, not of obviously halakha and torments, us, but of nature. Um, so nothing that's showing up in our life has to be this way. There's no more, it's just goalless. It just has to be this way. It's like, no, if it's not, it's not working, pl- tune in. How can we change it? I love the awareness,
2: like the knowledge that it's different these days, that we have yeah. the opportunity to change our perspective and to exactly. a new way. And that we have almost, and Hashem's assisting in that.
1: Yeah, I think that's yeah. really unknown though. I don't think a lot of people around with that information like people don't feel at least definitely not consciously that that they're doing anything wrong and i'm saying like the right. old generation you know our parent and from you know even chabad um within the system you know even though i'm sure they've learned the Sihas, in a way like at least from my experience growing up in the system it was like there was information and wisdom and thought and they were integrating it to a certain extent, like obviously, you know, their lifestyle is a reflection of a from home, right? Like in these like nuanced personality, uh, character, you know, where it like, where, where it says like, you know, your work, where your work is, like where it's actually super tough. Like if you're very right. active or money, or, you know, that's probably where you should focus because that's, that's maybe where the work is for you. I would say that within our system, like at least for me, my hardest thing was to see, you know, people in authority, people in the position of power, of people that are supposed to reflect, you know, a certain uh, caliber level of of caliber lifestyle, you know, have these flaws. It was, for me, it took like, okay, they're still human. That was a big, that took me like years to like really, Settle
3: into that idea. Yeah. And and there there's a difference between people having flaws and people being psychologically and emotionally abusive. And that we see a lot of psychological, emotional, and spiritual abuse happening in the schools. Um and um so but it's incredible that to get to that place of being able to say, like, yes, they're flawed, and also and also when you are in a position of authority, it's you know, throughout Torah, it's, you know, over and over again, you must be careful with how you treat people. You've been given a power over people's psyches. It's not something to be taken lightly. Being in Chinuch is not a job. Like, I I always say, if you're not approaching your classroom with awe and trembling over the, the incredibly, indescribably massive responsibility you've been given, like, rethink yourself, check yourself. Like, you, like we like, and people don't, nobody again, nobody's doing it on purpose. No one's doing it on purpose, but it's, I would consider it gross negligence because if we see how much it's not working, it's time to stop blaming Gullis or Eurita Sodoros and look inward. And right. as Hasidim, we're, we are always told to look inward, always. So when we see that something's not working, we don't keep, we don't blame. You don't keep sacrificing these kids on the altar of the system or of academic achievement, Rahman al and You say, oh my God, it doesn't have to be this way. Let's seriously reconsider. Well, and, you know, we are in the era as the Ruach Atum is being cleared out of the world, the, 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 the bottom of the barrel klepas that we all have are being pushed up out of the psyche. So it's, it's like, it's dark, tarry, sticky stuff that's manifesting through people's psyches. And again, nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it purposely yet there is gross negligence happening. Right. And so nobody's going to be judged as doing it on purpose, yet gross negligence happening. Right. Like they're that, not vicious, but it's still, but it's still not excusable right. and it's it can't be allowed to continue. Oh, they perfect. don't mean it. You know, a, a rabid dog is loose. Oh, they don't mean it. They don't mean it, but they're still mauling people and ruining their lives. Like they need to be stopped. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So like, so a hundred percent. So like, it's, you know, being able to just, you know, say these things and be like, we, we can't, you know, stuff's got to change. And, um, and, you know, thank God there are this awareness is really permeating the world more and more, the awareness of the Google reality and and the nuance of what that really means, um, and how to do it. And it's, it's just, it's growing, it's exploding, this idea of like, how do we make the full gula manifest? Is through us. Gula happens. Gula doesn't happen to us. It happens through us, through us embracing an inner redemption, inner expansiveness, being in our bodies, being in our lives, joy, pleasure, menuchas and nefesh, making gula choices. Uh-huh. When we have, our, when we create a gula practice with Hashem, a personal gula, the Rebbe says that's really what, man, what triggers the manifestation externally of. The, the full external Guula and it's not a poof, Mashiach drops down from a cloud and solves all our problems. Mashiach gives us the power from within to empower ourselves in our lives to redeem ourselves. Mashiach gave us, gave us and gives us all the consciousness tools we need to first redeem ourselves, which then manifests redemption for the entire world. And we see the world is changing shape so rapidly. We see a lot of massive structural darkness being exposed that's exactly what the Rebbe said would happen. He said in the coming years, and it, this was in the very late 80s, he, was, he said we were going to see the darkness start coming out of the wood, woodwork to be dealt with because it happens through human society. The The redeemed world, the world of Geula is not some other world floating up there. It's this world here now based on what choices we're making. Right.
1: right. And yeah. it's so true. I also, uh, it just I, occurred to me a thought that the Rebbe said actually that if you see like a darkness or if you see an issue, um, and you just see it and talk about it but you're not doing anything about it you know maybe the issue is you but if you if you see the issue then you know it's a sign for you to do something about it and i think right that you actually are taking the issues we have in our system creating your own school which is incredible and such a gift to our collective consciousness because this is Thank god <laughs> this is this is really the where we're going where we're heading yeah. we're really accelerating that process um, Ali, thank you so much for being here. You gave us so much wisdom. It, even just, it My just pleasure. Anymore. I feel like I could hear you for, <laughs> for hours and hours. <laughs> thank
3: you so, so much. Thank, thank you. you so much for inviting me on. Thank you. Have an amazing day. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Oh My God podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you don't miss any of our upcoming interviews. If this episode spoke to you, please share it with someone you believe would love it just as much as you did and rate the podcast five stars so we can continue to make content like this for you. Do you have a question, suggestion, or interview request? Shoot us an email to omgpod at gmail.com. That's omgpod spelled O-H-E-M-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. We're so excited to hear what you think and cannot wait for you to tune in next week. Until then, shalom.